Welcome to the Turn Row Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Ethan, and with me, as always, is Kevin. Hey, everybody. So today we have a special guest, uh, Garrett. He is uh, one of our agronomists in the Ulysses, Kansas division. So, Garrett, how's it going? Doing good. How are you? So, Kevin, you, you work a little bit more with, with Garrett, so I'm going to let you kind of do an introduction to Garrett and yeah, um, you know, for the for a topic today, we thought we'd talk about fertility, and uh, we thought we'd maybe take a, an agronomist and see what his views and approaches to fertility are, and uh, just see where the conversation leads. And I guess with that, Garrett, um, would you kind of explain uh, your background? Well, my background, I've basically interned ever since I, uh, well, since I got into college. I interned for about five summers with CropQuest and then uh, started on full-time since then, and I graduated college in 2004. So been with CropQuest ever since. So you're aging yourself, right? You realize that, right? <laughs> quite, quite easily, yeah. I joke because uh, Garrett was one of the, the few that taught me when I was first out here in Ulysses. So. That explains a lot. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I, I, yeah, it could be bad or good. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so go ahead, Garrett. Well, maybe maybe uh, explain uh, ge generically. I guess the geography you touch. The geography I touch, I'll go for, all the way to Oklahoma line, or dip down to Oklahoma some of the Texas pan, not the Texas pan, Oklahoma Panhandle. Um, I go all out to Lamar, Colorado, and I go up to, oh, a little ways north of Syracuse, Kansas, and Lakin, Kansas. And then down towards Ulysses, Hugoton area, kind of in the southwest corner and kind of extend out into states around me here. So, but kind of been in that same geography the, the whole time I've been down here. Seems like I've been moving a little farther north the last couple of years, a few years, but. Overall, been down here for a long while. Yeah, the, the trade territory does change with your client load. You know, as you get new clients and stuff where you pass on things, um, it, it does change. Because I think when I, you were first out here, it was pretty much, you know, in a couple of counties. And, and you've ventured yeah, <laughs> I, way I've, beyond that since. Yeah, so. it, it moves pretty pretty fluently through years and stuff like that as you, you grow and get more more clients and more acres and how and farmers and stuff get bigger and, and grow that way too. So, but. so what, what are, do you have any particular crops that are, um, I guess, staples in your area? Uh, is there certain crops? Uh, um, I guess, what is your favorite crop? What, and then what are some of the other ones you work with? Would be a better way to phrase that. I don't know if I've really got a favorite crop, but, uh, you know, corn's definitely our staple here. You know, corn covers a good portion of our acres, especially irrigated acres. Um, you know, soybeans are are in our area, but they're not very much. I guess they're probably a little more fun to, to deal with. They're something a little bit different. But I do have a lot of fun working with those. and They have a tendency to do pretty well and if handled correctly and stuff like that. But we do have wheat, milo, Sunflowers, potatoes, cotton. Um, so you have cotton in your area, yet it's not your favorite crop to work with. <laughs> <laughs> definitely not a Texan by heart on that. That's for sure. It's yeah. it's definitely a a new crop that's come in our area within the last what two years? 
heavily. I mean, in the southern part of where Garrett works, it's it's more prevalent, right? But it's it's creeped north since. It it's kind of been here for I'm going to say 15 years, but it's one of those things. But I definitely got some momentum in the last two to three years. Um, this year, you know, with the price being down, it's kind of getting to be maybe not talked as about as much, but it's still going to be be used and stuff like that. But we're such in an area where our temperatures dictate how the cotton does too much, and it's kind of gets to be a frustrating crop when uh, you can do everything right and still not have very good cotton because the weather goes and treats you wrong. So that doesn't matter where you're at. Cotton. <laughs> I tell people that cotton in life as a consultant in a, you know, as a cotton consultant, it's the most stress you thought you'd never love. You know, like it, it, it is the most stressful crop, but it's the one I love to work with the most. Like it's, um, but you know, weather wise cotton is, is a fickle beast. It is very finicky and the weather can, we made a beautiful crop in 2018. And after the first field was defoliated, we have 25 inches of rain in six weeks. That's our annual rainfall amount here. <laughs> you know, like, so it is, it, you know, that, that what you said about cotton goes everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Just some have a lot more, uh, more season to work with than others. Our, 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 some, <laughs> our season is just, just tiny. So yeah. if we mess up any stumble at any little time, it, you can't really catch back up very well, no. but it is, a fun, it is a fun crop to work with, but it's just one of those crops that's definitely a little more stress involved in, in yeah. our area than I like. So, Yes, sir. Yeah. So I guess kind of the, the, the heart of what we wanted Garrett to talk about was a little bit about fertility. Uh, you guess you have a little bit of a, a different twist on some of your, your stuff. So uh, I, Kevin, I guess kind of lead him into what you were thinking yeah. about. So I guess – Let's go generically into maybe how you approach fertility with 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 your guys, and then then we'll go uh, towards the end. We'll go into uh, the newer development of stuff that you've been working with. Um, fertility wise, I mean, you know, we it's changed a lot since I started with CropQuest on basically going back to our university, you know, guidelines that we always went with, and you know, you come to find out over the years, you know, they're generally not accurate they don't make sense in all areas and i've kind of went to the idea of trying to have our farmers kind of adjust on the on their farm and try to play with some some numbers and and yield goals and you know different nitrogen to you know bushels of corn and stuff like that i mean i make recommendations out there anywhere from 0.6 nitrogen per bushel to upwards of point 1.2 nitrogen per bushel so it's one of those things that does adapt. I mean, I've kind of went to on a generic across a lot of my guys. I generally go one-to-one -one anymore. Um, it kind of fits most of my area um, and kind of goes from there. But, you know, every farm's got its own challenges and you have to work with what those challenges are and what they present to you. So you have to kind of work to adjust and work towards fixing those goals or trying to fix those goals. And sometimes your ideas don't work. Sometimes they do. So, well, and you know, and I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, that a lot of the recommendations and stuff that we fall follow, excuse me, are old school. You know, they were developed way back in what do I even venture saying sixties? You know, I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. I'd have to, that's, that is a number that I don't know. Um, but, but they're, they're 
plot data and stuff that such existed in the university system that we still follow now that is umpteen years old, you yeah. know? And, and so um, I guess it, it's important to, to play, you know, and see what works in your area. Um, I, th I think so Garrett said something really uh, important, you know, about the, uh, it's different for each farm, you know, you shouldn't build a fertilizer program for 500 bushel corn because you think that everyone wants to do that. If a guy's happy with hundred bushel corn, then you build that. That's right. If, well, if, that's, if that's what they want and that's what they're happy with and that's what they have, you know, budget and if well size and everything comes in and it's a hundred bushel corn, then that's what you do. You well, know, and I, you know, I think you know, Garrett said everything's different. Like that, that's important to know that every farm is different. Every well is different every person's different. So that was really important what you said there. Yeah. I mean, a farmer might have fields that will never get above hundred bushel corn. We have other fields that, yeah, we could probably push that 300, maybe 350 mark. We really could. But the thing is you really need to, I, you know, make sure you know where those fields are. And if the farmer's on board with that and knows that's potential, you need to work towards that goal and, you know, go that way. And realistically, can they manage it? That's you know, right. Like there's, there's some people that just maybe they have too much on their plate or too much going on and they can't manage for that top, top end yield. And so their, their yield acceptance is what I'm going to call it, it is a little bit lower because of what they can handle. And maybe it is help too. You know, yeah. everybody fights, fights help issue and, and competent help. So. Yeah. Or, yeah. Or it could be something as weird as, do you have a, a, an adequate well service nearby? Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you're not going to, I have one guy that will not push his wells as hard um, as anybody else because he just doesn't have access to very many folks that can fix his wells. So if they break, then who knows what's going to happen, you know? So, so let, let's dig a little bit deeper. Maybe, you know, you, you mentioned different ranges of, uh, um, nitrogen to bushel of corn is, right. is there certain um reasons why you can go so low on one end and on other ends you want to be at a higher um it, it comes down to you know different application methods um different timings um to different soil types um there's a lot of variabilities when it comes into that if they want to get really aggressive and you know apply their nitrogen in multiple times throughout the year it's great. We can reduce it because of that. It, if we get to a soil that's a little tighter soil that we don't, we don't get the excess rainfall or we don't have excess irrigation, we can probably get by with less nitrogen and still probably have high expectations if we do happen to catch rain because we, we still have the holding capacity to hold that nitrogen there and, and long enough for out here. Um, but if we do have areas where, you know, sandier soils, bigger water, um, you know, you have to go and spread it out anyway. We're not going to be able to hold it. But there's ways of, you know, make sure you have the right amount of sulfur out there to help with our pHs and help them stabilize the nitrogen. And there's so many different things, depending on however the farmer wants to look at it on their farm to build it to how they, they want to. I mean, there's, there's so many ways to, I guess, make that happen that there's – too much variabilities to talk about and all in one small yeah, amount of time yeah, yeah. frame. Yeah, there's a, lot, yeah. a million ways to skin a cat, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. 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 
we, we could literally sit here for five days. No, well, and, and maybe another disclaimer too, this would be a different situation if we had a higher rainfall. Like out here, what is our average rainfall? 18 inches? Uh, I start wondering if it's like 12. <laughs> but, but, but anyway, you know, our, our average rainfall is not such, I mean, in, in other areas where they have more rainfall, they may require more because of leaching reasons where, you know, like so, Jared said, we don't, ha we don't fight those issues unless we have a high, high gallon per minute well. Yeah. So can, how do you quantify your hail? I mean, is that like a quarter inch per, you know? Uh, by spherical shapes, you know? <laughs> no, like, no, how, do you, how do you quantify how much moisture you acquire from that? Don't In you a hailstorm? Yeah, yeah. quite a bit of hell. It's a joke. Okay, guys, come oh, on. Oh. Way to go. Way to go. <laughs> Way to go. Hey, th th there has been hails that we're better off with the moisture we get from the, the hail than we are the damage we get from. There is no doubt there. Actually, yeah. we, we should uh, rephrase our, our blubbering mess there and say we quantify it by uh, the standard system, like in feet. <laughs> if you get yeah. of hail, you're going to be okay. <laughs> You're gonna get a lot of moisture. More, it's basically a snowdrift, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's quite terrifying. But um, anyway, before I derailed that, um, we were talking, you know, about moisture and how your lack of excess moisture is that you, allows you some of this ability to play with different fertilizers and rates. And um, so, are you mostly doing nitrogen and sulfur? Or are you doing PK, magnesium, do you, do you micros. Yeah, we go into PK, zinc, magnesium, copper, um, manganese, um, iron. Yeah, I mean, basically the only thing I don't try to apply out here is calcium because of our excess calcium we have out here, um, which is, it's, it's unknown to be lacking in other areas, but definitely not in our, our area as a whole. Um, but well, how about, how about we, we step back a little bit before we start this, okay. this side of the conversation. Okay. okay. Um, you know what, Garrett, I would say in the last three years, we've had some chemical presentations, and then we have listened to uh, Randy Dowdy yep. speak. And um, some of these folks have challenged the way that we look at fertility now. And and is, is kind of a backstory of what um, – Ethan said, you know, it's no more just about N and just about P and just about K. It's, it's looking at our different uh, percentage makeup in the soil type and playing with ratios to figure out how maybe we can adjust things to free up other things or take away things off the soil complex. Um, and uh, I guess, you know, we're going to talk generically because nothing really fits one situation. Um, but within the last couple of years, uh, Garrett has been playing with, with doing some of this stuff. And, um, a lot of our soil types are heavy silt clay loams, uh, Richfield silt clay loams. Um, um there's, there, Richfield's the, the main one. And then in the Southern tier of Garrett's territory, he does get into more sandy loam situations. Uh, but but I would say the majority of it is kind of a, a clay loam. Yeah, clay to silt loams and, and stuff like that. So. And, and we, uh, another piece of information, and, and I, I've said this before, but a lot of our pHs are in, in those tighter soils are 
probably seven, eight to eight, two, eight, three. That probably generally be, speaking, generally speaking, I say we're between seven, six and eight, two. So when we talk about fertility problems or problems in fertility, we fight two things. We fight our parent material, which is high in calcium. Um, and then, you know, we also have our pHs that are more or less, I'm going to say off the charts because we, you know, we can't, we can't grow soybeans. We can't grow some sensitive crops because our pHs are on the other end of the spectrum, which in all that together in equilibrium, when we start talking about ratios throws a big monkey wrench into everything. Yeah. And you know, the ratio thing, it goes off of all these different meetings that we've been to. And that's the good thing about crop quest is we are not lacking of meetings to go to and be meetings to attend. Um, but I've taken bits and pieces from, you know, every presentation that I've got that makes sense to me. And I've tested them out. I've tried them. I've moved around with them. And what I generally do is I put in, I find out where the soil type is and I'll try to put some of those ideas together off those meetings. And I'll try to put them, have put in a five acre strip because some of these tests that we're doing to try to fix and raise yields and, guys that want to push yields or try to fix areas, it's generally very expensive to put on a lot of these products to try to adjust how these meetings we all went to, to adjust. I mean, there's one, one test across 10 acres. It was literally $3,000 an acre for just fertilizer. And that is way more money than I could ever do with, but they are willing to give it a try to try to fix the problem. Well, you're talking about, like micronutrients and elements that we're applying 10x, 100x, you know, so it's, it's not traditionally, or I mean, it's not just your traditional fertilizers of NPK and and I'm going to include zinc into this, even though zinc is kind of the micro, the, another one that we would be playing with, but, um, but it more or less, it's challenging, challenging what we know and applying it to where we're at today in our racehorse hybrids that act completely differently than they have, you know, well, what do you, since the inception of Roundup, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. We've been from what, 180 bushel corn in, in that era to, you know, now you've got guys making 500 bushel on, on yield contest corn, but you know, consistently, yeah. you know, people are knocking out 270, 280, 290. So yeah. I can't, I can't fathom that. In a world where we're pollinating in 100 degree weather, you know, 200 bushel corn is is really good for us. I can't imagine what a combine would look like with 300 bushel corn or 500 bushel corn. You know, it's fun. It's fun to look at. That's right. <laughs> I just and in fact, I think <laughs> most people would say they don't really know it until they start looking and the trucks aren't at the end of the field and everything's sitting. They're like, oh it must be a little bit better than, than what I thought, <laughs> you, you know, cause That's right. really, I mean, you get tunnel vision, you just start driving and hammer down and uh, y- you go. And then all of a sudden when you realize you've slugged the system, Oh, it's doing way better than what I thought. Yeah. That's all, you know, a, a cotton picker will get slugged down at about six bales an acre. Uh-huh. When you see someone parked because the accumulator is so full, they have to wrap a bale, dump it and then do it again. So I, I, yeah, I've seen that, but I've never yeah. seen that before. <laughs> It'd be similar. Be yeah. similar. Only you just have more moving parts. You know, you have more, yeah. more moving parts in this machine. That's not, not the machine, but in the machine of like the operation of corn harvest. Yeah. 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 
So that, that that's awesome. So you, you, Kevin, you touched a little bit about the racehorse corn hybrids, and, and this is kind of a one of my tangents, but I think that right in itself is an important factor to think about when it talks about outdated university research. Is the the hybrids do not act like they did then. You know, well, and, and and one question for Garrett. I know the answer, and other people probably know the answers. But how many corn hybrids are the same from when the time you started to this day, right now? One. So you know that in itself shows that things are changing so rapidly that you know I've been here, or you know I've been with CropQuest ten years, and Garrett's got a few others on <laughs> on me, but he's seasoned. Few, yeah. like just a, a couple more summers. That's it. But, yeah, that's right. But a lot of these corn hybrids, what five years max? They're generally then, five years. Then and they're gone. spun out, and they found some yeah. something that acts differently and, and and better, and and we're moving on. And um, you know, I guess a plug for the university system is how do you keep up with that too? You know, if, yeah, if that's you're true. Trying, yeah. You're trying to do consistent research. How are you supposed to keep up when your variables are changing so much? Yeah. That's um, yeah. Right. I mean, I there, yeah. there's so much differences in nitrogen efficiency with every hybrid. And, you know, as soon as we get it figured out, they're changing them. And that drives me insane. You know, we got certain companies I feel like had a better nitrogen efficiency ratio than, than other, other companies. I was just going to ask you that if you found, you know, a difference between the companies, if, if they're germplasm, I mean, you could think of it as, as a, a stock, you know, if their stock is, is, uh, behaves differently than others, if there's some tendencies you could find within companies, you don't have to name companies. <laughs> there, there definitely is. And if I have a farmer that really is a, a stickler about putting on very much fertilizer and is very stringent on what fertilizer they put on and how much I, I will push them towards one company versus another because I know those hybrids will respond better in those scenarios and steer them away from others. So there's definitely a, a thought process there. You got to kind of work at, but you know, you can't always tell them that though either. So yeah. So, so just for, uh, if I know this is a question more for me and people in our area, but what is your in use corn? Is this food, human consumption corn? Is it feedlot ethanol? What, type of corn are you we're growing? pretty much all feed yard it's feed yard and dairy is that we've got our feed yard dairies and hogs so it's all going to feed an animal somewhere here i mean we still as much corn as we produce in this area we still truck you know haul it in on the rail from iowa illinois and stuff like that as we are yeah our, our corn supply never leaves here but is not enough to feed the animals in the situation we have here okay because you know you're talking about varieties phasing out in five years um, most of ours, 90% of ours is human consumption corn. Oh, and yeah. so we have, you know, you, we have varieties and you, the, you know, once 11 years old and from the time I, this is my, you know, my eighth crop here. So, um, the, the yields just go down for sure. Two, well, three bushels every year. That, that's, uh, that's why you see hybrids on our end move too, because I've seen it. They're hot and they're predictable for about three years. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, <laughs> where'd this yeah. curveball come from? You know, yeah. it just, but, for whatever reason, just starts acting a little different. So. But what we have to, uh, the end user likes that variety. They like the colors, the shades, the way it mills. So we're stuck with it. 
this yeah. is what we, it's what we have, you know? So, um, I don't know if that's good or bad, but you can almost bank on a two bushel, two to five bushel decrease every year with our stuff, with certain ones. But, so. so, Garrett, you know, um, let, let's talk about pH a little bit. Okay. Go as generic as we can, I guess. Um, have you have you played very much with out out here with our challenges in pH to lower it? Um, there's been a lot of talk about using sulfur you know, different sulfur products to lower pH. Um, I think there's still more I need to do some work on, and I still think I'm, I'm still trying to do a few things, but I have done some pretty excessive high strips of elemental sulfur and stuff like that, and to be honest, hadn't changed a darn thing. Um, but did I have the right sulfur product? That's still some questions I need to answer because I, more research I look into and more meetings I go to, there's a lot of differences with every sulfur and every type of soil and how it responds. And so you need to look at your soil type and match it to the right sulfur product to try to lower it. And in some cases, sulfur is not an answer. Um, you know, it's just one of those things we're going to have to look at other options to try to get there. Well, that kind of goes back to what we said earlier about the parent material. You know, it, it's going to act differently in every, in different yeah. situations, but, but we're dealing with, with, a material that that it's just the way it is right and, and it may not be feasible it's feasible to test like Garrett says yeah. in, in small areas just to see what you got but is it feasible to lower our pH of 8.3 clear down to a 6.5 probably not yeah so this is a question about sulfur in the state of Kansas is it considered a fertilizer or a soil amendment huh. Ooh. Depending on who Ooh. you talk to. Great question. Because in the state of Texas, it's considered a soil amendment. This is, I mean, not not from the agronomist, from the legal standpoint, you know, from huh. the Texas Railroad Commission who governs a lot of those kind of trucking things. So, um, and in, if it's a soil amendment in the state of Texas, they're not legally required to give you an analysis of it. So the, yeah. a problem we run into a lot is we don't always know what we're getting especially like with gypsum. We put gypsum, we have calcareous soils, but we still put gypsum out on peanuts and peanuts only because of some fertility things and pod formation and stuff. But anyway, so that was a question I had for you is, is so is your, is sulfur considered a fertilizer or a soil amendment? We are considered a fertilizer because we can actually get analysis on it. Yeah. Okay. And most yeah. of the time we can, you know, I mean a lot, cause a lot of States it's different from state to state. So a lot of times it is a fertilizer for us, but I didn't know how you viewed that. Are you fertilizing for the fertility uh, aspects? Or are you amending the soil? I'm trying to use it as fertilizer. That's okay. kind of my, how I got look at it. Okay. So, so that wasn't a trick question. That was just, <laughs> how this, this things are, you know, your perspective on that. So, so you know, going back to adjusting right ratios and stuff, have you had trouble getting certain products, especially when it, comes to micros to to fit your test strip needs there has been a challenge i mean but generally we're we're getting it in small enough quantities that it it might take seven to ten days or up to two weeks but if i'm doing my job and getting it in front of my producers to talk to them about it i want to be talking to them about it two to three weeks if not a month ahead of time to make sure everybody's on the same page and we want to try to shoot towards that one goal trying to figure out what's wrong so 
But, you know, it's one of those things. I would like to say every test I've done has come out in the right right way and it's worked, but that's not the case. Well, they, they say if you're not you're not trying, you know, you're you're in, if you, if you're not continually trying to better yourself, you're in the past. No. So, I mean, you got you got to try and um, you're spending money, but it takes money, to, or you got to spend money to make money. That's right. Yeah. You yep. know, and my biggest thing is like, okay, doing these test trips is fine, but it's one of those things. Am I putting on too much or not enough? I mean, there's no one that has a a book on saying how much to put on of manganese or copper or you know you name it on that comes to the micros and stuff no one really has a book to say how much you need to put on off of what soil test no one has that so we don't know what those levels are where we need to adjust from so my deal is is putting out those strips if it does turn out to be a positive result i want to be able to go in there and sample and quantify it and try to make my own assumptions on how much i need to apply did i over apply to not apply enough so there's part of learning. So are to get that, those numbers you're after, are you doing in season soil sampling as well? Um, you know, the touchy subject of tissue sampling. Yeah, that's right. Cause tissue sampling is, uh, it's a good, good number to do, but it's not a very, uh, useful tool in my book cause we can't get the turnaround fast enough. And we I, I also said, yeah, don't have a, I agree with you there we don't have a quantifiable, I guess, numbers to fertilize a standard, a, a standard to yeah. go off of when we go to fertilize yeah. afterwards. And, and I, I've pulled tissue tests weekly across two or 3000 acres and we didn't apply any fertilizer through the whole time and watch the numbers go up and down to sufficient, insufficient, deficient all the way across there. And we didn't change a darn thing. Now, would you say this is? Would you say that what you found generically was the uptake curve? Do you think you were seeing that more than anything, like that, the the plant uptake curve? That's what I went and found out. And you know, your your initiation time frame, your tassel, your your silking. You know, we had bigger bumps in different times for those things there, and we just there's wasn't a way to have enough fertilizer out there at those specific times to go and respond well enough. And every test that I've done, I can't get a response to give me a yield response that's greater than my application cost and investment I put in there. So if I'm not getting a 5% response out of the investment we're putting out there, I don't see the use in doing it. Unfortunately, all the tests we do are what happened in the past, right? Like our testing, you're testing for next year, right? Or if you're testing now, it's because you had a problem. If you're tissue sampling, it's because Maybe you haven't seen it or you had a problem, but it, it's already passed. Yeah. Yeah. And, that, and that's, you know, I guess it's kind of the nature of the beast. You know, if you're learning something and you know that at 50 days after emergence, you, you know, you had this trigger for some reason, the nitrogen uptook at this on this variety at this date. Well, so, you know, at day 48 next year, you need to do it. Well, then it rains next year two inches you know well should have you done it at 35 just so you went ahead and had it out there that's right <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. what is the right answer right that's exactly right so you can have all the plans you want in place but mother nature will uh, kind of laugh at you and 
she'll come out to be right on, on the end of it there because Mother Nature will always uh, figure it out. So, Yeah, I had a customer one time tell me, you know, if they ever lease out the Alamo Dome, which is a, a big uh, domed sporting arena in San Antonio, if they ever lease that out, I'll be a good farmer. <laughs> <laughs> greenhouse, you know? So have, have a 200-acre greenhouse. And cotton, so. That's exactly right. So, well, Kevin, where should we pivot within this fertility and ratio deal? You, you know a lot more about this than I do. Yeah, you know, I think that we've touched on a lot. It's just, um, do you have any other questions for him? You know, on, on maybe either end of the spectrum. You know, we don't want to want to generically talk about all the ratio stuff because it's different and it's new. We don't have the answer and we don't have anything to support what we're doing. Um, but we're trying, you know, versus the old way. Um, yeah. you know, and, and it, it all varies, you, you know, we could get into the dry versus liquid and, and all sorts of different avenues that I, I, we probably <laughs> better stay away from it in the essence of time. No. Yes. We will. We, yeah. This could be a 35 part mini series. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, you know, we're talking about ratios and you, so if you add too much of something, what you're doing is you, you're flooding kind of, you're putting that ratio in favor to allow more availability. Is that what you're doing with these ratios? I guess. Yeah. Basically you, you open up another product to be used more. If you get, one product too low, you know, and it's not going to allow another product to be used readily. And it actually causes efficiency symptoms showing up that, you know, the tissue sample says we, we don't have enough FOSS in the plant, but in the soil, soil sample says we have way more than we need. Well, why is that happening? Yeah. You know? So you may be, adjusting the ratio of another element to get a desired result out of FOSS. That's exactly right. And, you know, that's definitely been one of, oh, there's some success stories I have within there to kind of, kind of help with some, some areas where we're getting way too much FOSS and, and kind of getting too high levels and, and stuff there. So. Well, in, in a sense, if you think of it as a system, everything can only be a hundred percent, right? So, yeah. so like is, is, is some increase, it's either got to decrease somewhere or increase somewhere in order to have the system filled out. Yeah. Uh, this may be a stupid question, but in an acidic soil, and I'm, I'm following all this with you cause I have calcareous soils as well. Is this applicable to a, uh, acidic soil at all? It is, it is, but it's going to be a whole different animal. It's going to be, be upside down from what you're doing basically. It's going to be kind of upside down, but you look at it in a similar situation. You just look at what's getting affected by what product. You know, why is this one building up in the soil and we're still seeing symptoms? What's causing that to happen? What other product can we use to amend that deal and get it in a ratio where it's going to be used correctly? Um, and it might be looking at CECs to try, okay, my CECs look great on overall, but you look at the ratio of them or the numbers on them and you need to adjust where can you adjust to make that happen? Um, you know, there's so many ways to look at a soil sample and I wish I knew all the answers. It'd be a lot easier, but I'm still, <laughs> still learning, but you if know, you had all the answers, you'd be a very rich. Man. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. <laughs> you wouldn't be sitting right here. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, I, I like to say I've tried to be right 50% of the time, but that's not the case when it comes to fertility. So. No, and I think what you're doing is awesome. You know, you're, you're open with your girls. You're trying new stuff. You're not stagnant. You know, that, that's the important thing. You, you know, you don't know the answer, but you're looking for it. And th that's really important is you're trying to find what um, is going to fix their problem. And just because you don't know what it is doesn't mean you're not doing the right thing, you know. That's exactly right. So, and if you stop learning, you might as well quit. So, yeah, yeah look at it. Yeah. You know, I had that. Uh, I had a, a – discussion with one of my growers i brought a few different herbicides to him and he said well, what are you doing like why, why you know every year it's three new ones so well if i give you the same report every year what use am i if i you know if, if we're not trying to make every facet of your program just a little bit better you know kill a few more weeds have a little less escapes have a little more efficiency with your fertility then you know like just, you have my books, just do it, you know? So, um, and that, and this is really what you're talking about now is just with fertility. So, oh, yeah. but this is awesome stuff. I could really sit here all day and listen to you talk about this. <laughs> so, well, Kevin, do we have any more? No, I think uh, that wraps it up. We might have to have round two sometime. Yeah, we might, we might could. And whatever it might be. Yeah. But yeah. Maybe we can dive into a particular element and, you know, you know, beat nitrogen yeah. to death or sulfur to death or right, sul right. Sulfur is the unsung hero of the monocot industry. In my, in my opinion, I, I think sulfur's sulfur is a cool element that we should dive into if we could. But anyway, with that, uh, Colt, do you have our, uh, social medias and contact info for our, all of our listeners out there? Uh, yes, you can find us at CropQuest Inc. or you can find us on Facebook uh, just under CropQuest. And if you want to reach us via email, uh, you can email us at media at CropQuest.com. So we welcome comments, concerns, ideas. Uh, we'd love to have some, some, kind of some feedback to uh, help build our future episodes. So Garrett, thanks for coming on board. This was, this was really good. No problem. Do it again. Anytime. So, thank you, everybody. Thank you all. Our business is knowing the business of growing. We take pride in your success, being better than the rest. Crop Quest.